Hey guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 43. So today we are joined by Chris Barakat and Chris uh, Chris is very, very deep in his contest prep so I'd first like to thank Chris very much so for, for coming out today and, and being able to do this podcast because I know what it's like when you're prepping and you're tired. Um, you know, talking on a podcast is another thing to, to add to your daily tasks. So thank you very much, Chris, for coming on. Um, My pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. No worries at all, mate. So to, to give Chris a little bit of an intro... Chris is the the owner of Competitive Breed, which is a company that provide online physique coaching, uh, education across all platforms, uh, and most recently their their training program, which is called Max Hype, which is also developed with uh, Chris Elkins, another physique coach online, which probably a lot of you know, um, and probably a lot of you know Chris through Chris and uh, etc. So that's that's pretty cool, and I've heard only good things from that program and it's very individualized and it's in the way that it's set up and potentially we'll get into some things on, on the training program because it's something that I'm quite interested to to hear cool. about. Um, alongside that, Chris is an adjunct professor at the University of Tampa uh, where he actually graduated with his master's in exercise and nutrition science and that was in 2016. Um, he also now is a scientist conducting studies mainly on how to optimize body composition through training and nutrition. So he's got already his, his fingers in, in a lot of pies and he's got a lot going on. Alongside that, uh, Chris is obviously a, a bodybuilder himself, competed as a teen when he started competing uh, in the INBF, which is a natural federation. So Chris is a drug-free athlete, which is obviously very, very relative for this podcast. Um, he later went on to compete like me, which I'm doing this year, um, as a junior. So me and Chris have had very similar sort of, he's a bit ahead now, but we had teen, we had junior competitive uh, endeavors. So we're very similar in the way that we came through the sport. Um, And Chris, like Chris has picked up like pretty much, your track record with shows is pretty damn good. Like you won as a teen, you won your weight class, you won as a junior, you won your weight class. Uh, And now most recently he took a double class win at the NPC Tampa, and then yes. he took second most recently at the IMBF Hercules, uh, and now is is very much prepping for the the Muscle Mayhem uh, in, yes. in thirteen days, I believe. Did you say twelve days out? Twelve man. days. Yeah. Amazing. So, Chris, anything else that you wanted to specifically add to to the intro at all before we get into things today? Man, you uh, you hit everything on the nail. Basically, hmm. um, I will say I got my bachelor degree in athletic training mm-hmm. um a lot of people aren't really too familiar with that field but it's more of a hybrid between a physical therapist and an emt okay so you are the first responder to you know athletic events where you have to do any sort of emergency kind of situation uh, and then okay. when you're not at the event you're doing more sports rehab um injury diagnosis and evaluations and stuff like that so that was my original background um Gave me a really good educational base, but it's not something I wanted to do for a living. Sure. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, your, your resume is already extensive. And and how how old are you at the moment, Chris? Uh, I'm 25, man. I'm 25. 25. Man, done yeah. a lot. Done a lot so early on. It's it's awesome. Thank you so, so much, man. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a pleasure to have you, Chris. And and I think you know, like we discussed off air, this is actually Chris's first podcast. But I'm sure by the way and his resume and what he's doing at the moment you can expect to hear chris on several other podcasts coming forward i imagine they'll feature on on pretty much all of the 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 top ones so uh for me to sort of nab him first is quite an honor and uh we're looking forward to this so today we're gonna we're gonna speak primarily about chris's journey through bodybuilding um and also what he's learned along the way obviously three competitive years and and also quite a big gap between one of them which we'll definitely get stuck into into the reasonings behind that and what is learned over over these competitive years so first up i think it's good to start with literally where you started chris so how did you get into bodybuilding itself and what was that transition into competing as a teenager at that age for sure so um, this is crazy. I'll try to give you um, 
a summer. My mindset as a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When I first saw bodybuilding, what my initial thoughts were, and okay. then how that changed over time, and then how I got involved. Sure. Um, so as a kid, I've obviously seen photos of Arnold and Zane, and you know, pumping iron. Yeah. Um, I have two older brothers. So one of my older brothers showed me pumping iron when I was pretty darn young. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be heavily involved with martial arts, okay. specifically Kung Fu as a young child. Um, I won like state championships and stuff like that at a young age. Awesome. And then I kind of felt like I hit a high level and then moved on to something else. I moved on to basketball. Sure. And then after I couldn't progress with basketball and couldn't take it to the collegiate level, I was stuck. I was like, what am I going to put my my competitiveness in, my passion in? Like, I needed something physical. And um, throughout the years, I was always training. I was always exercising, whether it was calisthenics or a little bit of weights. I loved I loved exercise. Yeah. Um, but unlike the physiques of Arnold and Zane, I was one day at the barbershop, and I saw like a muscular development magazine. I saw a photo of Kai Greene. I was like, oh, this guy is gross. I'm like, this guy is just disgustingly large and unproportionate, right? Um, but then I'm in college, and one of my buddies that I became friends with, he's like, hey, man, I'm doing a natural bodybuilding show in a couple of weeks. Wow. And I was like, what do you mean natural bodybuilding? He's like, yeah, it's drug-free. They polygraph you. They give you a urine analysis. It's like, oh, wow, that sounds freaking cool. So I checked it out, and I was like, Wow. Like, mm-hmm. I need to do this. You know, like, my eyes lit up when I was in the crowd. I was amazed. Um, I was amazed by some of the teenage competitors that were my age. I, one one uh, competitor specifically, Michael Charles, who's doing really well right now in the NPC, won his natural pro card at a very yeah. young age. Wow. Um, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. So literally 365 days later, I did that show. And then when I did that show in 2011, at um, 19 years old, I caught the bug right away. I was like, I love this. I got to keep keep doing it. Amazing. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, it's like not only are our sort of competitive careers quite similar, but the way that we got into it is quite similar in the sense that we wanted something to chase with regards to competing. Like, I was very competitive when I was young as well. In fact, I was... I was more heavily involved in motorsport up until the age of like 16, 17. But I was like, you are still training because Mm -hmm. it was relative to my sport. And then that cross transferred into obviously I I needed something. And I was like, well, I love the gym. Like, what can I do with that? And very much like yourself, stepped on stage and and, and loved it. So I think a lot of I think I think a lot of the best bodybuilders or at least some of the people that are like super dedicated towards this sport, like they come, they don't start with bodybuilding. They start with something else that gives them that competitive drive before they start looking towards the aesthetics and the look rather than sort of getting involved just because they want to look a certain way. Like they're a good bodybuilder because they're competitive. And I think, a lot, sure. I think a lot of that is lost nowadays. Like a, a lot of people want to please social media or please followers, etc., as opposed to chasing the competitiveness of the sport. Would you agree with that? I agree 100%. But yeah. the thing is, the people that chase it for the wrong reasons don't last at all. That's it. Um, yeah. If they're not built for it, you know, mentally and internally if they're not a competitive person and they just love the praise from the from the external sources this is too much of an internal war man like yeah. you're battling yourself every day you know um yesterday on on instagram stories i was in the grocery store and after prepping for 28 weeks man i wanted to buy everything in the store uh-huh. you know but you got to practice discipline you gotta you gotta understand what your goal is and you know it for those people that do it for the wrong reasons, they're the ones who slip up, fall off the diet, you know, don't get their cardio done when they have to. And then after one season, they're up 50 pounds from their stage weight and then they can never get in shape again, you know? Yeah, and they stop training as well. They just they fall out training. of love with the, the, the passion of the gym. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, interesting, interesting journey. Now, with your first show as a teenager, obviously at 19 years old, it's very, very young. And we we talk about it a lot. And I'm sure that a lot of your posts in the past have, have been sort of in line with the idea that 
you will put on a lot of tissue or the majority of your muscle mass when you are in these these youth stages um these 19 early 20s when you can potentially pack on you know more lean muscle mass than potentially when you are older now looking back what did you learn out of that initial contest prep and and if you were to look back now like i sometimes look back would you compete as a teen or would you wait and what how much weight would you put in the the idea that you gathered lots of lessons learned from that prep awesome question man um yeah so my first show like I said, I was 19. My stage weight was 140 pounds at five foot seven. It was not the prettiest looking thing in the world. Very sad um, to me. <laughs> three days before the competition, I actually was about to call the promoter and say, "Hey, like I'm backing out of the show because um, I thought I was just going to embarrass myself and get killed." Oh wow! Because okay. I saw photos of my other competitors on Facebook, ah, and bad. of course they only put their best pictures up, and I was like, "These guys are going to make me look like a skinny child." Um, somehow I ended up winning, mm. but, um, that's, that's where the mental thing comes in. But yeah, like you said, I grew a lot. So from 2011 to 2013, it was really only a year and a half. It wasn't two full years sure. because I competed in September and then I competed in April of okay. the following year. I see. Um, but I gained 14 pounds of stage weight, dude. So I went from 140 it's to crazy, 154. It? It's like if I could redo that again, um, yeah, I, I almost sometimes regret competing in 2013, but at the same time, I was only in a calorie deficit for 12 weeks ah, for my 2013 okay. so prep. So come on, what's three months of being in a deficit, you know? Um, my biggest change was that for my first contest prep, besides just not having a lot of time in a surplus and not training, you know properly um, with higher frequency for a natural bodybuilder, I used to do a body part split where I was doing one time a week. Mm -hmm. Then from 2011 to 2013 where I really grew and put on those 14 pounds of stage weight, um, that's when I started training everything two times per week. Mm, yeah. So that's where I saw the most progress. Finally, I understood calories. Um, in high school, I would weight train and didn't track calories at all and I never gained weight. And I was like, oh, I'm a hard gainer. I'm a hard gainer. I just wasn't eating enough food. I was basically malnourished. Yes. Uh, super low calorie. And I trained hard. So my biggest regret is actually my nutritional approach from when I was like 16 to 19. Yeah. Once I started competing, I, I started understanding like I need this amount of food coming in. I need this amount of protein coming in and I need to do this in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always find it difficult when, because obviously a lot of people, when you get clients, they come to you because they can resonate. And so I have a lot of teenage potential competitors or junior potential competitors. And I always, I always find it in my head because I competed twice as a teen, um, two consecutive years. I always find, I look back and I sometimes think, okay, I actually wish that I didn't do one of them or that I waited a little bit. And that I just packed on a little bit more size. And whilst I mm -hmm. still did well, I'm more inclined to have this view of hindsight now and say to people, like, these are the years which you could invest. And then I think, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that you'll probably agree with this statement. But if I was to get a teen competitor, my advice or my main advice would be compete at 19. Compete at the top of the bracket as opposed to coming in at... 16 17 18 uh, would you agree with that approach and is that sort of the core advice that you'd give to teenagers that wanted to step on stage uh yeah it can go both ways so i'll share my perspective go for it if you want to be as competitive as possible and be your absolute best compete at 19 when you're at the top of the bracket yeah um one thing i will say is the positive of actually just getting it over with and kind of competing your first time around is you're going to find out is if this is made for you or not, you know, you might love the gym, you might love, you know, eating a nutritious kind of regimen, but you might not love competition. Um, you might not love that extra sacrifice that goes into getting contest lean. Yeah. You know, you can love the lifestyle without having to compete. And um, so in that sense, it's like, maybe you should just compete once, see if you love it. 
but definitely don't compete like back to back years as a teenager. No, no, no. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that makes take advantage sense. of your growth. But yeah, just see if, see if competition is for you, and if this is something you might want to do for the longer haul. Yeah, because you know, I guess the, the yeah with that, like if you invest for so long and you've got this goal of like getting on stage, getting on stage, and then you start dieting, you're like, wow, I hate dieting. <laughs> that would be such a unrewarding thing to have happen. And yeah. I think that would be more demotivating than sort of finding it out a little bit sooner as to whether it is for you. Um, and I think maturity is going to be one that you could take into a, to perspective. Like some people, it will take them time to want to really do it. Um, but I think for most, especially the ones that will really make it, it just comes kind of naturally. And if you're able to do it at 19, you'll be able to do it at any age type thing. Would you for agree sure. with that? Like maturity is quite a big thing when it comes to handling a calorie deficit of that aggression oh yeah absolutely absolutely cool cool awesome so and you know to share my thoughts on like the the gap the gap in between your shows it's cool because like i recently very recently took a year out so from the age of 20 to now 21 i took a year gap and looking at where i'm at comparative wise like it, 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 it almost shocked me and made me worried that I wasn't quite on track because I mm. think I've legitimately put on like 10 pounds to 11 pounds of stage weight. And it, it, it just, it, it's mesmerizing though. It really just like makes you think like this is, this is crazy what you can do when you apply yourself over like just a year, you know, at dude, this you're, age. You're making me jealous, dude. I can't take, I can't go back through those years. <laughs> Yeah, so guys, like if you're young, like capitalize on at least some of these years to, to really invest in, and get eaten. So moving into sort of more recently, so from your junior competitive year to your now this year, 2017, you, you, you took some decent time off. Um, and I yeah. know that you had a very solid goal or a very solid strategy going into that break. You said... The specific show and you said your specific goals now how did you approach that off season like what sort of what was your mindset and how did you approach that from a sort of a periodization kind of that's what i'm trying to ask here is like how did you periodize that off season in a way to maximize those years of growth gotcha yeah so it it was a very very meticulous plan hmm. um and I just had this vision. So I'll give some very, very brief background. The show I did in 2011 was a very small local show. Sure. The show I did in 2013 was a larger, more regional show. Okay. And then the show I had my eyes set on for four years for that four-year off-season was like the biggest show in the Northeast region for amateurs. So like I wanted to climb the ladder, you know? Sure. In 2013, a lot of people were telling me to do that bigger show, and in my head, I was like, "I'm not ready yet. I need to, I need to crawl before I walk and walk before I run." So I wanted to slowly level up. Um, but yeah, the four-year off-season, a lot of it had to do with a. I just wanted to grow as much as I possibly could. Okay. But b. I was super focused on school, so uh, okay. my goals were finish my bachelor degree, finish my master degree. Once I finished my master degree prep was on and I kind of had this whole thing mapped out mm. um, in regards to periodization that's really hard to say because it was four years but um, just like any other program you know I just tried getting stronger over time sure. um, my training frequency did change so at one point I was training each body part twice per week so in 2013 2014 and 2015 I was training each body part two times per week. Okay. In 2016 and 17, that's when I started training each body part three times every eight days. I'm on a kind of interesting training split, sure. but my training frequency went up one more time. Okay. I felt like um, I kind of plateaued when I was hitting two body parts per week, and the same way I plateaued back when I was 19, hitting everything once per week, and I increased my frequency and I saw a lot of progress, the same kind of thing happened once again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, it was just this vision to step on that one particular stage that was uh, two weekends ago where I fell short, I took second place out there, but 
the experience is something I will always cherish. It was absolutely amazing. Um, I had everything documented from the day before the show to the day after the show because I flew out my friend who's a videographer uh, all the way oh, from amazing. Florida to New York. So we're making like a documentary. It's going to be like a natural bodybuilding contest day documentary. Super high quality footage. Like stay tuned. It's going to be legit. Sick. I'm going to look forward to that. If, yes. If, if by, by the time that comes out, email me the link so that when it comes out, I'll just pop it in here. So if any late listeners listen to this, and I'll Perfect. leave it. So if it's there, watch it. Um, so that sounds awesome. In terms of taking away points from that, like it just proves how important the off season is with regards to goal setting. Because I think a lot of people go into off seasons with this a bit, a, a, like a bit of doubt and feeling a little bit scared because they haven't got this hyper focused goal of a show anymore. Like it's gone. And they don't mm. know what to do with their nutrition or their training. They get a bit lost. They can fall off track for a little bit, especially with this post-show. Like, you get really weird emotions post-show, and I'm sure that you've experienced that. Um, so it's it proves just how important it is to have a long-term goal. And yours being like four years down the down the timeline is a massively long period of time. Now, one thing that I would like to ask you, and I'm sure a lot of people are very interested in hearing, is when it comes to the amount of time that you actually spent in a calorie surplus for that four years, how did that look? Because I, for myself, when I first approached my whole year off, I was like, shit, I'm at stage weight. Like, what do I do now for a whole year? Like, mm-hmm. where does my body weight go? How quickly do I raise it? So with four years in mind, how did your nutritional periodization look? And did you implement like mini cut phases, et cetera, into this four-year block? Just give me a rundown on, on how that potentially looked. That is an awesome question, and I think a lot of people miss the boat here. Um, gaining weight and losing weight should never be completely linear, you know, in one direction or the other. I know these people that go on these perma bulks, and they're literally in a surplus for the whole year. Like 12 <laughs> months out of 12 months, they're in a surplus. Or they're dieting and they're literally in a deficit for 12 months. It's like crazy. Um, weight gain really should be cyclical. Weight loss should be cyclical. Yep. You should have periods of maintenance, periods of deficits, period, periods of surplus. So, um, And that's for health reasons too. It's not in regards to like bodybuilding, but it kind of is, right? Because if you just perma bulk forever – you become less insulin sensitive, right? You're not going to utilize your nutrients as effectively. Yeah. Um, your pumps in the gym aren't going to be as good. Your performance is going to take a hit, and your body weight is going to start accumulating more and more. Yeah. So there's really no reason to do that. What I personally did was um, the majority of those four years were in a surplus for sure. Sure, as much but as it was, possible. It was periods, right? So let's say I would do like four to six months of a surplus okay and then I would do like a six to eight week cut or even a six week maintenance period where I might try to recomp so I'm bringing my calories down I'm seeing if I can lose some body fat and, and maybe add some size or just focus on one body part at a time um, give more attention to a certain area so for the most part four years were surplus I did a lot of mini cuts going into summer just so I would look better when I'm outside, be more aesthetically pleasing. Um, for the contest, I did have a very specific kind of plan, and I'll lay that out. So in May of 2016, okay, I was at my heaviest ever, heaviest of my life. I was 187 pounds, okay? Um, I did... A pretty decent cut. I did like an eleven week cut and an eight to eleven week cut was over that, quite that summer. Slow? Was that quite a gradual thing, or was that quite fairly aggressive? What sort of rate of loss was that? So I lost thirteen to fourteen pounds. Okay. In eleven weeks. Fairly that was slow. the rate of loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then from there, so around you know September of two thousand and sixteen. I maintained and I reverse dieted. I tried building my metabolic capacity a bit. Sure. I maintained and gained whatever you want to call it from like September to January. Okay. Then January 1st came, 
boom, prep time, baby. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I periodized the diet and nutritional approach. I am so happy I did that mini cut because I lost 14 pounds yeah. in a very flexible manner. I wasn't tracking my macros to the T like I am during contest prep. I gave myself ranges. Um, some days I would just hit protein and the fats and carbs for calories. But it was super flexible. I was still eating out, still training hard. And that made contest prep way easier. So, you know, all in all, I lost 33 pounds from 187 to 154. If I had to do that in a straight shot, I mean, I would have been miserable. But the fact that I got right around, you know, 45% of it out of the way um, early on was, was a great move. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I can totally agree with that approach. I think the first time that I heard the the phrase the diet before the diet was from alberto nunes i think and he sort of like trademarked that as an idea to sort of get people in a, in a greater position to start a more extended fat loss phase which i think it just makes a lot of sense because the first phase is just so easy um like you said you can be very flexible you can take the weight off fairly efficiently and then get to the good stuff when you've got the mentality to think, okay, right, this is prep. This is the time to really get the hard work done with regards to, to fat loss. Um, so that's, that's awesome. With regards to the mini cuts that you did implement throughout the gaining phases, how aggressive were, were they? And, and what's your opinion on the idea that if you're a, a decent body fat level, when you implement a mini cut, would it just be, or would it make sense to an extent, just just have the greatest deficit possible and just to get in and out as quickly as you can, as opposed to doing a more, or basically dragging out easy fat loss when you get to this peak that you want to bring back down? Yeah, um, so there's a lot of ways to approach it. Personally, the, the just to use that term, you know, the higher body fat levels are, I think the more aggressive you can be. Um, yeah. You're in a safer position to spare muscle tissue. You shouldn't really burn muscle tissue when you have so much excess um, adipose tissue to utilize. Sure. So if you want to get it over with, go right ahead. The only thing I will say is if you're too aggressive and performance really takes the hit in the gym, yeah. that's not what you want. Um, you want to, so this is how I would approach it. You want to be as aggressive as you can while maintaining gym performance because if your gym performance starts taking a hit while you're heavier, there's really no reason for that. You know, you should expect your gym performance to go down when you're super low body fat, but when you're still in that healthy, fluffier range, there's no reason why um, you should be so aggressive where you're dying in the gym, you know, where you're really running out of steam. But yeah, man, um, even with my clients, when they kind of mini cut in between these long surpluses, we're pretty aggressive, kind of get in and out, get it over with. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I totally agree with yeah. that. So when you reach the end of your gaining phase after four years, a lot of people find it quite difficult to contextualize the gains that they've made over an off season. Because when you are in that off season shape, it doesn't really show the muscularity that you've potentially gained. I know for a fact with myself, I was full of self-doubt at the start of this competition phrase. I knew that I'd done everything in my power to gain lean body mass, but it, it just didn't look significant like it was there until mm -hmm. you start peeling back the layers. What do you do when you reach sort of peak off-season phases with clients, with people that are approaching you, or even yourself, to sort of judge muscularity and, and give yourself some sort of confidence when you are in this phase of potentially self-doubting whether you're ready to go and chase what you want to chase? For sure. Um, I don't want to get too far off topic, so just reel me back in if I go off on a tangent. No, I just sure. want to speak a little bit on mentality. Yep. Um, so I'll be completely honest with you. Um, you know, body image is something that a lot of us struggle with. You know, um, a lot of us have these self-conscious feelings, these insecurities. Um, for the first time in my life, I was really comfortable in my own skin. Nice. Back in May of 2016, when I was at my fluffiest, 
like even though I was softest ever, I was just like cool with it, you know? So um, I encourage you guys to really just appreciate your physique regardless of where you're at. Um, it is really hard to see the gains, but if you love the training and the dieting and the whole process, just just love yourself, man. You're, you, you know, you're doing your best, that's mm -hmm. all that matters. Um, but going back to the question, hard to see progress. Um, I think taking progress photos are very important in the same exact lighting because um, if that varies, it throws everything off. Sure. Um, even taking measurements like just circumference of your thighs, calves, arms, chest, stuff like that can kind of be a good tool just to say like, oh, I am gaining even if it's you know half an inch on your right quad or half an inch on your you know on one of your muscles um, that's just motivating to see the progress and then with me I was fortunate enough to utilize a DEXA scan so um, I have DEXA scans back from 2015 while I was bulking I saw that my lean body mass was going up and I was just like fist pumping myself you know um, so it is tough I don't know if I answered that question. I kind nah, of got lost. Nah, you did definitely. I think the 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 opportunity for you to have DEXA scans is pretty damn cool. Um, and obviously, the the other the, the other tips that you gave with regards to mentality and and feeling good within your skin at whatever sort of body weight or phase that you're in is a, is a superb take home because a lot of people start prep wanting to make themselves feel better. Or wanting to like look different to make themselves feel better when in reality the best place to start prep is already being very comfortable in your physique and having the mindset yeah. that I like the way that I look already because you yeah, man like the way your mind changes throughout prep you're very quick to start hating your physique <laughs> like right now I'm contest lean and I don't love myself more than I did when I was my fluffiest it's just it's cool. It's cool that I created this physique that I was able to peel down and peel the layers back. But I really don't love myself more because I'm lean. Yeah. You know, like who I am as a person isn't what my physique is. My physique is something that we create through a vision. But like internally, you know, we're all humans and our character should determine how we love ourselves, not what our body looks like. And mm. As cheesy as it sounds, like right now, even though I'm shredded, I sometimes don't think I am, first of all. I don't know if I'm lean enough. I get in my own head, you know, and then it's just like whatever, man. It's just part of the process. Yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about yeah. it. It's like, a, it's like a daily thing, you know. You, you'll you take pictures in your off-season, and for me, I'll be way more objective. I'll be like, this is good, this is bad, this needs improvement. And then you'll take one bad picture in your prep and one thing might be off. Like you might look soft in one area and that's all you focus on because you're focusing on just your, your, your worst critique and you lose this objective point of view, um, For sure, which, which I think is something that people need to realize. So a little bit of more info on your prep itself this year. So just give us some because it's so cool that you're now like your contest lean and you've done contests because we can talk about the whole thing. So give us some sort of starting stats. If you remembered, I know that you discussed body weight was around about 170 ish. Um, so starting stats in terms of body weight and macros, and okay. then sort of take us through to where you're at now, body weight and macros, and then we'll just get into a little bit of a discussion. Okay, I'm going to pull up my tracking sheet so I can get the right body weight and the right macros, like where I was at and where I'm yeah, at. Do it, go for it. Do you, do you log everything on similar coaching sheets to your clients? I treat myself like a client. Same, same. Exactly, dude. Like I use the same <laughs> trackers and I, I hold myself accountable the same exact way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the best way to do it. Yeah. So let's see. I started, these were my, my starting macros. Okay. 70 grams of fat, okay. 365 grams of carb, mm -hmm. 225 grams of protein. Okay. That was the, the beginning. Yeah. Where I'm at now, <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> on training days, I'm at 50 grams of fat, yep. only 160 grams of carbs, and 225 grams of protein. 
And then on non-training days, I am at 75 grams of fat, 60 grams of carbs, and it's like really all from veggies. Veggies, yeah. Yeah, I just do a lot of veggies on that day. I don't do any starches on purpose on that day, and then 225 grams of protein. Okay. And um, my refeeds are auto-regulated, so yeah. sometimes it's once every five days, sometimes it's once every 10 days, sometimes it's back-to-back refeeds, um, kind of auto-regulate that based on how I feel, the scale, how I'm looking, my activity levels, a lot, a lot of variables, man. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm a very much in the camp of auto-regulated refeeds. I think they work really, really well. If you know the feelings of when you need one and you know the look of when you need one as well. Because I think a lot of weak, weak dieters will think every day is a refeed day. Right? Oh, yeah. If you auto-regulate them and you're a weak dieter that's never dieted before, you'll want to put one in every day. But if, yeah. you, if you know what it feels like to need one, you know when your body's just eking out for that refeed, you do it and it works perfectly, like that's the, that's the recipe for success. So one question that I did have, and I saw this actually on your, on your stories initially when I found out about this sort of the way that you set up your nutrition, what's the theory behind having uh, higher fats, lower carb rest days and how have you found that? Have you, is it something that you've done in the past or is it something that you've just done for this prep? Um, I just done this for this prep. Okay. But there's so many reasons why I do it, man. Um, I enjoy eating some more saturated animal fats like grass-fed beef and fatty salmon. Sure. And I think there's so much nutritional benefit to those saturated fats. Okay. Where I know so many contest preppers, they keep their fats really low the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And they're just missing out on those nutrients that come with it. You know, their omega content starts becoming very low. They might become um, vitamin deficient with their fat soluble vitamins because they're not getting enough fat. Interesting. Um, and then I do think there's a benefit in regards to fat loss where. Just theoretically speaking, right, if you're not giving your body glucose for a day and you're just kind of using those vegetables, those high fiber sources, it's kind of going to be forced to use fat for fuel, whether it's from the food that you're eating or from your adipose tissue, you know. Um, So I don't mind kind of depleting my glycogen even further, you know, liver glycogen, muscle glycogen goes down lower. I'm tapping into more fat stores, especially when I'm this lean. Um, And it kind of mixes my diet up. You know, I have like a training day diet where I have maybe my brown rice and lentils and sweet potato and oats as my my main like glucose starchy sources. And then on my other days, I can just eat like freaking burgers, you know, like fatty 8515. I know everyone when they prep, they're like, Oh, I get like the 93.7 beef or like the super lean beef. Like, dude, when I eat my beef, I want that that 85.15 grass-fed, nice fatty stuff, man. There's health benefits to it for sure. Yeah, I I, I think the the, the rationale behind that really makes a lot of sense. It really does. And the the sort of the the variety in the diet is is something is such a basic rationale but it really it really gives value to the idea of of doing that and i think from my my own perspective having a 2015 prep where my fats for some time period were as low as like 35 grams 40 grams the first thing i wanted to do like psychologically was eat dietary fat and a lot of it like all my cravings was nothing carbohydrate based. It was all dietary fat. So I think having one day where you open up the door to have fattier foods and have them in, like literally just have them in your palate, like have that taste is something that can be quite psychologically rewarding as well as potentially some physiological benefits. Um, oh, yeah. Would you argue that, like, or would you say that this time round, I know that you've probably got leaner than past preps, but have you noticed any sort of different feelings with regards to hormonally with the with the implementation of, like, a higher fat day? Like, do you feel like testosterone levels are potentially kept a little bit higher? Do you feel like sex drive is higher on the high fat day or anything like that at all or is it just monumentally low (laughs) i will say this so you made some great points man in 2013 my fats went as low as 35 grams as well sure and dude emotionally i was a wreck wreck a wreck yeah 
Um, I'll be honest with you, there's times where like I'd be at a super high high where I would feel really good. And then like two hours later, like I'm literally crying to my girlfriend about like nothing. I'm like, like about starving basically. Yeah. But like my fats were super low, right? Um, this time around, my fats never went below 50 on the training days and they never went. And my non-training days, they're, you know, 75, 80. And then even earlier on in prep, they were up to 90, 100 grams of fat. Sure. Um, nonetheless, my testosterone levels are extremely low because I got blood work done yeah. because I'm documenting this for a case study. Um, however, my libido is better, man. Um, my third leg can still work. So, <laughs> you know. That's good. Yeah, it's, that's good. It's news. interesting. <laughs> yeah, and something that's a little bit off topic, but not too much. Sure. You're familiar with maca powder? I am actually, but for okay. weird reasons, my mum uses it. I do not use it at all. Do I need okay. to use it? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. So all the data we have on maca powder doesn't show that it significantly increases testosterone levels. Okay. How, however, we have data showing that it does enhance libido and improves libido. Yeah. Um, I think I'm taking that. a green superfood product right now by my sponsor, okay. and it has maca powder in there. And I realized that my libido was shot all prep. The second I started taking this green superfood with the maca powder, like my libido came back. But I don't know if it directly influenced my testosterone at all. Yeah. No, interesting. I mean, a, a lot of these things are obviously... The reason I asked the question with sort of quite hesitance is the idea that the physiological adaptations of contest prep are a lot due to just low body fat as opposed to dietary food intake. Mm. However, if you can potentially like combat some of these things a little bit, it, it would be nice. Oh, um, yeah. And I think, you know, the the idea of sort of running slightly safer dietary fat levels um i think that i actually picked that up from just observing i I mean i'm sure you're the same i observe a lot of coaches so i observe what you do i observe a lot of what cliff wilson does and a lot of what team 3dmj do and i've seen a a pretty much the majority of the way that cliff works with clients is tends to be that fats with his clients don't go anything below 50 Mm. Uh, i've sort of seen that as like a quite a generic bracket of course things can potentially be different individual to individual um, yeah. however that's sort of something i've seen and he's he tends to drive carbohydrates slightly down keep protein yeah. high fats are like 50 um which is similar to yourself a good rule of thumb um for general health purposes i wouldn't really let fats go below 20 percent of your total calorie intake okay once you drop below 20 those deficiencies in fat soluble vitamins become more likely sure okay wicked well, I think I will throw you one last question, which is quite quite a decent topic to finish on because a lot of people will cross roads with this when it comes to contest prep because nothing's ever simple and whatever perfect plan you put in into sort of into perspective, it might not follow through. Now, I know literally as soon as you started your contest prep, you came across an obstacle. Um, and this was a little bit of an injury, a low back injury. So what ha- like, what caused that? And also, how have you worked around it? And is there anything that you would look back and think, wow, that actually, that low back injury actually taught me something. It taught me this or it taught me that. Um, and is there any other obstacles that you've come across in this prep at all that's, uh, that's worth mentioning? Cool, man. Great question. So um, AJ is 100% right. Day three of contest prep this year, I sprained my sacroiliac joint where your tailbone and your hip kind of meet that low back pain that everyone kind of has dealt with at some point. Sure. Um, I did a deadlift in. Okay. Um, and it wasn't even a working set. It was a freaking warm-up. It always uh, is that, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I just – I wasn't completely locked in and like – I wasn't treating the warm up with respect. You know, it was 315, but my working sets are 405 back then, and, you know, whatever. Freaking mm. screwed myself over. Um, but what I did learn is you don't need the big three to be a bodybuilder. You don't. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole prep, I honestly feel like my likes have improved, and I know that's due to losing body fat, but still. Yep. Yep. Um, I will get ultrasound measures to see. 
if I was able to preserve or gain any muscle mass. I'll get back to you guys on that. Awesome. But um, I, instead of barbell back squatting, I freaking killed hack squats. Like hack squats were my jam just prep. Mm. And I just feel like I got such a better bang for my buck as a bodybuilder hack squatting. Okay. Because I would literally feel more tension on my quad throughout the whole range of motion compared to a barbell back squat. And it wasn't neurologically as taxing on me. You know, the next day I wouldn't feel like a train hit me because I had weight on my back and I did six sets of work, six working sets of squats. Yeah. Whereas when I would hack squat, my legs would be sore as hell the next day, but I also wouldn't feel like I ran myself into the ground, if that makes sense. Um, it's just a more efficient movement for me as a bodybuilder. I'm not a great squatter. I'm a very good deadlifter. Okay. So maybe that's why I think um, depending on your body mechanics, some movements you're just not going to be that good at. You're not going to be too efficient with that movement. And don't invest so much time doing it, you know? Try to find an alternative where you're going to get a better bang for your buck. Literally, more, just more work done in a shorter period of time. More effective work done. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, th- I think people do. Obviously, we we can put a lot of weight in these basic moves, and if you can do them, it would be it would be nice. It would be good for for people to 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 make the most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you do come across these obstacles. I think people just initially get really, really scared that they can't do anything, and they can, they and they can't train legs at all if they can't back squat, which is just not true whatsoever. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you can make fantastic progress. I know, you know, from from again just observing natural bodybuilding, I know that that Brian Whitaker had like a huge knee problem for the majority of his 2015 prep when he actually yeah. he, he he took worlds like that was the year where he took it, and he he didn't back squat at all. He hack squatted. Yeah. And he he said that his legs were as just as good as they ever have been. Um yes. it, it really does bring us back to the idea that that we should always, I think, think in our heads like what makes us the best bodybuilder, as opposed to just purely chasing like these big moves. And it's the same with like the idea, I guess, of of progressive overload. I think a lot of people chase numbers and they chase the weight on the bar. And they forget what made them a bodybuilder, right? And they just forget that the stimulus is key, correct? A thousand percent. Uh, one thing I want to touch on on this topic is um, the previous gym I was training at, I used to go to Powerhouse North in Florida, which okay. is popular because a lot of big names train there, like Paul Revelia, Lane trains out there, and a bunch of other people. Ah, sure. Um, yep. So it was a good environment. I trained over there, but the gym sucks, dude. The equipment is terrible. It looks all. And I was yeah. doing, I was doing a lot of free weight stuff, so like overhead dumbbell extensions. I tried using exercises that trained each muscle throughout its full range, right? But now I'm at a different gym, and I have a lot more access to really good machines. Sure. And like, there's some exercises where I just wouldn't feel a lot of tension in the muscle that I'm trying to train, no matter how I altered my mechanics. And now with some of these machines, it's like I feel tension on my muscle throughout the whole movement. And the next day, I'm sore as hell. I'm like, I can't wait to kill an off-season with really good equipment. And I'm literally only going to perform exercises that I feel. Like if I feel my target muscle being stimulated and a lot of tension being created where I want it, I'm going to do it. If I don't feel it where I want it and maybe I feel it more in my joint rather than my muscle – I'm not going to waste my time with it. I don't care if it's a barbell bench press, a barbell back squat, whatever the movement is that people feel like they have to do it. It's all nonsense. Like as a bodybuilder, you need to train your muscle. Yeah. That's it. You don't need to train a movement pattern. Yeah. You don't. If you want to be athletic and functional or if you're going to be a power lifter, you need to train that movement pattern over and over and become efficient at that movement pattern. But as a bodybuilder, man, you need to train that muscle. It's it really is different. Yeah, yeah, I I do yeah. I do yeah I do definitely agree with that. And I think you know we we could make we could make a whole podcast on that topic. But I think it's For nice sure. it's nice that we've touched on it because a lot of people will obviously look at your training videos and follow your stuff. And it's nice to hear sort of 
that rationale behind why we do some specific movements, why we target muscles in that way, um, and you know why we should continue to look to train like a bodybuilder. Um, so, Chris, awesome. I think we'll we'll wrap things up there. I'd like to give you just a, a floor to sort of leave any um, things that you want to leave for the audience in terms of where they can go to follow you further. So, uh, perhaps where you're most active on social media which is your most active channel and then sure. obviously i will link chris's website below i'm not too sure if you're you're taking on anyone at the moment but i'll make sure that the the website link is there if you're looking for for coaching or of course his his max hype uh, training program also awesome man thank you so yeah guys in regards to coaching i am taking on a few more clients at the moment cool probably like three to five spots left um i've been getting a nice influx so i can't take on too much more but feel free to go to www.competitivebreed.com you can contact me right through there or email me at chris at competitivebreed.com in regards to my social media platform i am definitely most active and most public on instagram um, I actually love Instagram stories because it makes it super convenient to put out good informational content. Unfortunately, I have plenty of people DM me like, I missed your stories yesterday and I missed all that info. Like, where can I find them? Like, dude, it's it's gone. Yeah. It's on the cloud. But um, follow me on Instagram, IG stories. I put a lot of information on there and I try to do a couple informative posts on my timeline a couple times a week. Um one thing I would like to say, going back to the documentary, once that is released, please check that out. I put so much time and thought into it. And if you're a natural bodybuilder, I think you are going to love it. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but just the vision, it, it's going to be really, really cool. And that's really it, guys. I'm 12 days out from the show in Sacramento, California, The Muscle Mayhem. And the day before that, I will be presenting at the National Strength and Conditioning wow. Annual Conference in Las Vegas. So I'm presenting on Friday in Vegas, competing and sat on Saturday in California. So Jesus. it's going to wow. be crazy. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah, guys, make sure to, to follow Chris on his journey. And uh, I wish you the best of luck at the Mayhem. Thanks, I'll be, man. be following it very closely. And, uh, and I hope that that you grasp what, what you deserve, man. Because I know that you've put in so much, so much work. So um, Thank you, brother. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. Of course, any questions or queries that you have potentially for me or Chris, leave them in the comment section below on YouTube. Uh, make sure to subscribe for future episodes and, and give this one a like if you, if you enjoyed it. Uh, cheers for listening to episode 43, and we'll see you back for episode 44. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, man. Good luck to you on your prep. I appreciate it. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Awesome. Thank you very much, mate.